And James, uh, good evening. Good evening, Trustee Fox. I do. I appreciate your indulgence. Um, I just wanted the trustees and the audience to know that I am traveling to a beta heart meeting and I'm at the airport now, but certainly otherwise I would be physically present. So please excuse my absence, but I'll be present for the duration via Zoom. Okay. Thank you, James. Uh, Madam Clerk, uh, do you want to take the roll? Yes, please. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Garrett. Here. Trustee Sine. Here. And Trustee Splendorio. Here. We do have a quorum. Okay. And we do have one public comment. Okay. Why don't we go ahead with that? Okay. Lynn, Lynn, I'm sorry, Lily Indelker. <laughs> sorry. No, no, it's really fine. <laughs> I'll give, I'm setting a three-minute timer up, and I'll give you a 30-second warning. Perfect. Um, good evening, trustees. I appreciate you giving me this time. Um, today's a special day. Uh, exactly two years ago today, the Board of Trustees actually approved EBMD's PSA, which included the current benefits and the compensation package that the physicians have today. Um, there are really three things I wanted to convey to you all. Um, and with these three things are three questions I'm hoping that you will ask yourselves and deliberate over. So the first thing I wanted to report is that we did have our strike authorization vote count that happened on Monday. We had an overwhelming 99.5% physicians who voted yes. And what I do also want to report is that of that, 87% of full-time physicians actually came out to vote. These are people who came in from community sites, who came here from Highland Hospital, working overnight, working long hours. They all came out to vote. And I think this really speaks to the unity of the physicians. It makes me super proud that we stand behind a united cause and that the asks that the negotiating team is putting at the table truly represents and resonates with the physicians. It does, however, make me sad that as physicians, we're even having to consider a decision like this. It's weighed on us heavily. But ultimately, we truly believe that healthcare is a right, it is not a privilege, and we as physicians stand behind our patients to be able to give this to them. But for that, we need physicians in the system. So I want you all to really ask yourselves, and I've asked you this before, what would a physician strike, an attending physician strike, look like for the system? The second thing I wanted to point out is our mediation that happened yesterday was extremely disappointing. You had qualified physicians sitting in a breakout room for eight hours straight with no proposal passed over the table by the management team, zero. Whereas we have provided written proposals to them, which they have not provided responses to. I think the mediator had some very interesting perspectives. I think they're valuable, and I would highly encourage all of you to seconds. ask for a report from the mediator. And the last thing is our parental leave, which is our most contentious issue. I will tell you, we have heard you all loud and clear that this is your red line. We understand that, we acknowledge that, we have put creative proposals on the table. 
What we are looking for is a partner on the other side who will sit down with us and solve the problem at hand. It is a common problem. It is a solvable issue. We are here for you. We just need a partner who can be engaged and who can sit with us with certain guardrails and solve it with us. So please, trustees, provide us that partner. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, the next uh, order of business is approval of the minutes of January 3rd, 2024. I have a correction, Alan. Yes, sir. On page four of four at the top of the page, it says trustees fundary asks if current interest rates, I did not say current, I said if, few, if lower interest rates. Okay. Madam Clerk, do you have that correction? Got it. Okay, any other corrections? Uh, I have a couple. Uh, on item B2, the fourth paragraph, uh, where it says, <clears throat> Trustee Fox asked how the debt position went down. Um, it's actually how our, should read, how our net position went down. And then the last line uh, of the minutes, where there's a, a reference to AHSF, That should be AHMG, I believe. I'll double check. I think I had it down as the foundation. That's how I fixed it. Uh, well, I'll double check. Okay. Any other uh, corrections, revisions, additions? Okay. Can I ask for a motion to approve the minutes <clears throat> as revised? Second, please. Second. All right. Thank you. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Garrett. Aye. Trustee Sine. Aye. Trustee Slidoria. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we're going to move on to item B1, the chair report. And uh, we circulated an article from the New York Times titled, What Happened to My Health Insurance? Uh, it was about the requirement that uh, all uh, Medicare, uh, Medi-Cal, or Medicaid outside California, recipients would have to recertify for their insurance. Uh, that's a requirement that came with the end, the official end of the pandemic last year. Um, this article is really just for background information, um, but I'd be happy to entertain any comments or, or questions about it from the trustees or, or from other attendees. I just want to show appreciation for you sending that. We're seeing that at our health center. Uh, it's impacting a lot of individuals, and it was a very timely article, so I appreciate you sending that. Thank you. Any other comments, questions? Okay, hearing none, we're going to go on to the report of the Chief Financial Officer.
everyone can see that okay. So this is the December uh, finance report. Uh, we'll start with the uh, dashboard. It's pretty small, isn't it? of numbers on here. So uh, this dashboard was supposed to be a summary so that it was a one place shopping for folks to see how the organization is doing financially. Um, the first two are green. Our volumes are up. Uh, we did miss our discharge target in December but year to date we are ahead of budget. So that's, that's good. In regard to our revenue cycle, our collection ratio Ratio is 19.1 compared to 18.9, so we're ahead of budget, so we're doing well there. Uh, we've collected enough cash year-to-date to, date to um, support our net revenue that we've accrued. So that's a test that we do to make sure that, you know, that the cash is coming in. Um, our days in AR are 62.9, so they're 2.9 above budget. We'll talk more about that a little later on. Our productivity is at 100%, uh, mostly because our volumes are above budget. Registry is higher than we planned at, four, uh, at a target of 4.1. Our FTEs are also unfavorable, and our labor cost is unfavorable for FTE. Um, we are seeing more FTE, and we're still using more registry, which are making those red. Um, our costs are also up for discharge and for patient days. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, net income, we are ahead of budget by 3.7. Um, and our EBITDA margin is 3.6, ahead of target. And so far year to date, on capital, we spent 13.2, which is shy of 25% of our budget of 30.5. And we have our quarterly GRIT report on performance improvement. We are red there, and I'll go through that as well tonight. So here's our volumes. Uh, we did add payer mix to the bottom, so it's a lot for one slide. I'll just make a few comments here. Uh, our volumes are pretty disappointing. We uh, didn't hit our volume targets in most areas in December. Um, there were a couple of areas that were very busy, though, and that was the emergency room. Uh, we had uh, 19 more deliveries than planned. And our skilled nursing facility, our census was high, and our discharges were up. Everywhere else, we are pretty much uh, below budget. Our length of stay did jump up a little bit to 6.1. That's still far better than we were at 6.4 last year. And the payer mix, and the reason why this is in here is our commercial payer mix for the month is 7.7%, 7.6 year-to-date. That's, a, for the month, a 12.5% increase which because we make, uh, we earn so much more on the commercial payer mix, it has a very positive impact to our bottom line. Through in this slide, I haven't shown this for a while, it's how we're doing on our um, length of stay. This is comparing us to Medicare, GMLOS. And you can see our trend is slightly coming down, and that's what we want. But also important in this is if you look at the green box there, our opportunity days are down. So that means, based on the mix of patients that were in-house, we actually did a, good, a better job of getting them out um, to 
the uh, to the uh, geometric uh, length of stay. So here's our financials for the month. And we basically broke even and had a $215,000 profit. We were budgeted to have a 5.8, so we missed it by 5.6 million. Uh, most of that is coming out of a true up on our benefits. We talked about this last month mm. that we had some issues in our budget software, Etsy. And for some reason, our volumes, uh, our expenses didn't align with volumes. So um, the benefits were particular, were particularly off. So rather than carry an artificial positive variance, we adjusted the budget. And so we're seeing the impact of that this month. Um, year to date is a good, is an accurate reflection. So we're at a net income of 5.1, which is 3.7 million better than budget. So here is the next slide here talks about revenue, our gross charges uh, are above budget in the month and year to date. And even though most of our volumes were down in the hospital, the outpatient service revenue is what drove us to beat budget. And you can see the net collection ratio at 19.2 for the month um, is bringing in a positive 1.5 million in revenue. Next slide here talks about the governmental and supplemental funds. Um, for the month, we had a nice pickup for the FY22 GME, one point, total of 1.9 and uh, half a million of that was additional Prop 56 money we got. And I want to point out here today, uh, under the Medi-Cal waiver GPP, we're ahead 4.4 million. That's a non-recurring pandemic relief. So that 4.4, which is one of the primary reasons we're above budget, is one-time funding from a previous year. Um, our supplemental funding is up uh, base, basically because GME three years uh, chewed up this, this fiscal year. Really good news on other operating revenue. Retail pharmacy continues to beat budget every single month. And for the year, they are 4.2 ahead of budget. On the expense side, uh, this month was Can I ask one quick question? Sure. Do we know what services are contributing to the insured patients over budget and over last year? Um, primarily, it was, it's from the trauma, and that's where most of the, the mix comes. But in December, our trauma volumes were actually down, but our payer mix was still up. So um, I haven't done more of a drill down than that, other than some of those trauma patients may have, you know, hung over and discharged later, so um, I can uh, follow up and do some more research, but. It's good to see. Yeah, no, it is good to see. So the physician services are actually, if you net them with the employed, we're right on budget. And I have a few more comments about that, but I'll do it when we talk about the labor costs. The only other two major uh, variances here are purchase services, which is really just a timing difference in the month. If you look year to date, we're over 0.9, but it's 1.7%. Materials and supplies are up, and we have an error in the slide here. It says medical equipment. It's really pharmacy. That was just uh, some words that were uh, carrying forward from last month. It should have been updated. So 
the entire variance is really pharmacy for the month, and it's also the significant variance for year to date, along with um, minor equipment and implants. So the next slide is just more on the expenses, and really the only comment here I'll make is on the year-to-date administrative. Um, the entire variance is business insurance. Our business insurance has gone up um, quite a bit. In regard to our labor costs, uh, interestingly enough, in December, um, we had budgeted uh, to have nine, 798 FTE of non-productive, meaning people would be out on vacation for the holidays, right? What actually happened is we had uh, we had uh, 449 on non-productive, so that caused us to have a huge paid FTE negative variance, which is it pretty much explains the entire variance this month. Not a lot of overtime, but um, we just didn't have people out on. PTO, they were working. Also, to comment here on the physician salaries, you can see they had a negative variance there, 4.2. It's actually positive year to date. This is going to continue to be negative because uh, the budget includes the authorized funding from our board to settle the SEIU contract. And we have not closed that contract. It's still open. And so we assumed it would, we would have uh, been able to start to settle and start paying soon after the beginning of the year, July. So uh, there are actually another 1.2 million unfavorable um, in addition to the 400 at this point in time. Registry, uh, we continue to use more FTE, but at a much lower rate, and you'll see that in the grid. This next slide is the quarterly slide we look at in regard to FTE trending. Um, to the left side is pre-COVID volumes, adjusted patient days. Uh, to the right is our current volumes, and you can see we're almost back to pre-COVID. We're not ahead of where we were pre-COVID, but we're pretty close to where our volumes were pre-COVID. However, our FTEs were about 4,400 or so, and now we're at 5,000, so about 600 more FTE. Kim, could you go back a couple of slides to the slide that summarizes uh, expenses, the top line? Of, is, yeah. One thing I noticed is that um, we're ahead of budget year to date, but we're, we're well behind last year. Okay, we made $5 million year to date last year. I think we made $13 million year to date December. And our um, revenues are up 7.9% this year, year to date, over last year. But if you look at the far right column and you look at the expense increases compared to last year, Except for purchase services, every expense category is up more than 7.9%. Okay. So when I look at that, I see almost all of our expenses are going up faster than our revenues year to year. And it just seems that kind of gives me pause that where are we heading? Uh, you know, put that together with some of the things you're going to talk about in a few minutes on cash flow and the NMB. And, you know, I've got some concern 
for the next couple of years. Yes, and inflation was really high. Uh, and uh, as you know, we're working on our baseline budget. And one of the things the team is doing right now is scrubbing through that baseline to see are any is any of this stuff one kind of things? Is this is this hangover from COVID? And can we you know get some costs out? A lot of work is happening because these are you know big increases pretty much across the board and higher than what the inflation is reflecting. So let's see, continuing here, um, here's the salary and benefits. Um, just want to point out there in the year to date that the variances are gone and that was the intent. That's what we wanted to do. We didn't want to carry a bunch of positive variances that were artificial. We didn't want to mislead the readers. So we went ahead and we corrected the budget and now our year to date for benefits and retirement is pretty much zero. And uh, moving on to the balance sheet, here's our key stats page. Just a couple things I want to point out. Uh, our days in receivable came down both uh, gross and net. Uh, we're still not quite at target as our dashboard indicated. Uh, I have another slide on that in just a minute. Our uh, due from to county went up. So they owe, the county owes us more money. That is being driven on the HPAC uh, funding. They owe us 21 million. Normally we would have already got that money. So it's delayed this year because of approval from the Board of Supervisors. And then my last comment is on the net negative balance. Um, you know, last year we were favorable, almost 60 million, and now we are 63.6 million negative. So we've, we've drawn on our line of credit. Here is the AR slide, kind of jumping around quite a bit. We've got lots and lots of projects going on um, within Epic. Um, this was a good month, mostly because our collections were above trend for both HB and PB. Um, one of the areas that's causing our AR to be above target for HB is we're doing a lot of NPI consolidations and corrections. Um, our legacy systems had many, many, many NPIs, and most organizations do not have multiple NPIs or NPIs by payer. So we're consolidating. It's going to take 6 to 12 months, and it does cause um, some issues with delayed um, payments. We also saw our candidates for billing. Those are our in-house bills. Um, they went up. Uh, 0.3 days, and that was because our we had staff um, on off for the holiday. Those should come back down. And we had a few credentialing issues. Uh, I addressed them in our letter. Nothing all that significant, but um, uh, we are working to get them fixed. See the cash on this slide. Uh, the total posted in Epic is 63.9 million. So that is a pretty decent month if you look at all the other months in that in, so far this year. Uh, unfortunately, under the behavioral health column, we've had no payments um, October through December. The July, August, and September payments related to last fiscal year, we always lag about three months with the county because it's all manual. So we build, and they have to scrub it, and then they submit it to the state, and then it comes back, but it's always delayed. Good news is that we did uh, bill for July, August, and September this month. 
Um, that's about 14 million. Normally, we would have collected about 17 and a half million for these three months. We're only able to bill for the facility portion. Um, we have not set up the professional fee yet that um, is allowed under Cal A. We're still the working ER on the billing manual. It's going to be a mess and it's going to take some time to, to ER clean up. And we'll circle back to this in my projections on the receipts <coughs> when we get to our projections. So, does that mean that we're getting zero on the professional fee because we're not billing? Um, we don't know how to bill yet, and they don't have a billing system for us to bill into. So we're basically setting it up in Epic, and you know, once the county gets their system up and running, we'll have to figure out if we've guessed right on the billing manual, and then we'll have to load all of our charges into the county billing system, and then they will bill the state. And how far back can we go? July 1 is when the, uh, the insist, the county's original or older billing system was taken down and the county along with many other counties picked smart care and it was supposed to be live in july and it is still not live okay so we're not that behind any further than the beginning of this fiscal correct yeah in fact we collected our pretty much our whole contract it was a little over 70 million last year okay all right so here is the projection on the NNB. This is our line of credit with the county. Um, we always uh, forecast out another year at this time of the year. So this is the typical time we're trying to plan ahead. We want to do this before we start our budget so that it kind of sets the stage for what we need to do for budgeting. And as you can see, we are going to go over our limit with the county. Um, assuming nothing changes. So um, we have to you know, focus on this and we're gonna need to make some adjustments and we are likely going to have to go back to the county and get um, an amendment of some sort to our March 16, 2016 permanent agreement, um, which only allows an intra-year flex of 50 million as you can see, even if we fix a whole lot of this, which I'm sure we will, um, we're still likely going to need some help. Um, and it's because there's a new cycle for our supplemental programs. And I'll show you more in a minute. But if you look at this, there's a cycle. We went up, and then our expenses go up, and then it comes down. We get most of the funding for supplementals in the spring. So... You see on FY24, we are below the line, just below the line, and then it drops below zero by June 3rd. We get $154 million worth of supplemental funding in the spring. Next year, we will get $300 million to drop us to what I've got here is exactly the max we can have on the line of credit at June 30, which is $100 million. So this big swing and change in the timing of supplemental funding is creating a different set of requirements for the NNB. So that's a very important point because we'll have to work with the county on that. And then to do this projection, just it's a high-level projection. I wanted folks to understand we just took some baseline 
cash flows and made some tweaks to them. This is not the budget. The uh, budget baseline is in development and we will be coming forward in June for approval on the budget. What we did for this, just for planning purposes, is we increased our patient receipts by 3%. We uh, looked at all of our supplementals and made our best guess on when we're gonna receive them. We did an overall 2% in payroll because not all the union agreements start on July 1. They come through the year, so it ended up being 2%. Uh, we looked at the current projections for Alameda Health Medical Group, put those in, and then we just did a general CPI on AP of 3%, knowing that, you know, CPI is actually 4% right now. I haven't heard anybody saying it's going to go back up again, but I don't know, no crystal ball. And then we took our capital spending down to $25 million for this year and next year. We, you'll see in a minute on one of my charts that we don't usually go above that. So the only other comment I want to make on this is on January 17th, just before the forecast dotted line there, we actually hit $127 million and the county um, gave me a call because they were concerned about it. Um, they funded our, the, they funded us, so it's not a problem about funding. But that delay, we had forecasted we were going to be almost to the line there. We were um, pretty close to where we forecasted, um, but it did definitely uh, cause some concern. So just want to point that out. So this next slide, uh, I just want to point out, you know, in April, there's that 154 million coming in that brings us down to having nothing on our line. And then next year, if you look at the January through April, I mean, we're just doing our best guess on when this money's going to come in. There you're going to see that uh, uh, 200, actually, if you look at January through June, take the 103, the 56, the 153, you're going to get to your um, over 200 million there. And that does bring us down next year right to our max. So we don't got, we don't have any cushion. And I did have to make some adjustments uh, to the cash flows. So for John George, I assume that they're going to pay us the interim contract, which is uh, $40 million, uh, this year that we'll get it by June. But we're not going to correct the whole Calame issue by June 30. Here we are in February, and their billing system is not even up, right? And we don't even have a billing manual for professional fees. So. So what I assumed is they would at least pay out the interim contract. And then next year we'd have a catch-up. So we've got some extra money in July, August. And then we would get back to the $70 million level. But I don't know that. I just know that Cal Aim did not intend to cut our revenue. There was no, no there was no, nothing, Cal Aim had nothing to do with cutting our reimbursement. So I'm assuming we're going to be at least made to um, 70 million and probably with CPI should be above that. And on the HPAC, um, I added this in here for the timing because the timing did impact us negatively this year. So we can try to make sure that, the, that we can get that funding earlier in the year, help hold us over until the rest of the supplementals come in. And uh, I also want to point out at the bottom, the prior year reimbursement settlements, 
Uh, we talk about these from time to time. Um, the waiver recoupments, absolutely, we're going to have to pay those. I don't know when. They're not in my forecast at all. So they could come tomorrow. They could come in three months. They could come in two years. You can tell by the years, 2010, 11, 14, 15. These are very, very old, right? Uh, I don't have any new news. I don't know when they're going to come. In regard to the Medi-Cal FQHC, um, the state uh, is uh, kind of in a hold pattern. Uh, they came and they audited us back, you know, using our archive systems. They audited 2012 again. We were able to provide substantiation for everything. So we are waiting for them to come back to us on this. But uh, I don't have anything in writing. I don't have anything to go on. But I don't think that we will ever uh, on the physician spa, that is real. Um, the ones that have closed, they have settled slightly favorable to us. So maybe it won't be as big as that. So I have a couple more slides just to talk a little bit more about this situation. Um, this next slide is just changes from last month. We had some pickups. I don't think I'm going to spend any more time on this one. Um, but what we did is we created a trend. So I'm going to talk about revenue first. Revenue is the black line. So the black line is at its highest peak in 2003. And what caused that is we were able to keep 100% of the uh, HPAC uh, amendment, 52 million, and the county um, made good on the capital designation fund, so they gave us $28 million, four years worth in one year. And the other, the final item that really helped us is net patient revenue. That was the year we got the big pickup in net patient revenue. So this next slide, and I know it's busy, I'm just going to make a few comments. I'm not Can I just make a comment on your graph there? Sure. Go back. I'll go back to the expenses in a minute. Yeah, on your bar graph, the one that yeah, I was going to talk about yeah. expenses second. Okay, because just you can just see there that our collections are under our expenses for FY24 and FY25, and that's obviously an irritant to the NNB. Yes, definitely. Thank you. So um, I'm just going to make some comments. Uh, you can ask me questions, but. Um, <coughs> There's four points I want to make about our declining supplementals. The first one is that the California federal matching, that's the FMAP, um, during the pandemic was 56.2%. It dropped to 50%. So we lost 6.2% of our uh, supplemental funding on uh, all of the Medi-Cal programs, which are most of our programs. The second one is on AB 85. Um, the, the formula for realignment is basically, um, it's a formula that forces us to justify the need for the additional funding. And that formula has cost containment limits. And as you can see, our costs are up. So we're not able to get credit in the formula above the cost containment limit. And then to add to the problem, Revenue that we received from ARPA and for uh, uh, the matching 
is included in the form so it hurts us it's like they gave it to us and then they took it away and uh, the ARPA was pretty substantial it's 22.3 million dollars so those two factors are hurting our ability to keep the realignment money and it always settles two years later so we either pay it back two years later or we don't get another amendment so it's confusing and complicated but the problem for us is during the pandemic years it's going to be difficult for us to keep that money. The um, third point is QIP and GPP. During the pandemic, the ground rules changed. The threshold was reduced for QIP so we could pull down more money. And because there were less um, acute uh, and uh, not enough ambulatory to get all of the points, they adjusted that so that we could get more money as well. And of course, we go back to the status quo, meaning we have to earn the QIP and we have to have the points for uh, uninsured to get the full amount, uh, full potential. So that is a reduction for both programs. And then the last bullet is, is probably self-explanatory. The COVID uh, emergency funding is gone. We got 74.4 million um, over several years, 20 through 23. So I want to go back to now talk about expenses. So if you look at that, uh, our expenses were below the line, as Trustee Fox pointed out. Um, so we were able to pay down the NNB in 2021 and 22. In 23, we were pretty equal to it. But you can see the huge growth in our expenses. So if you look at the blue line, that's our labor costs. Um, they went up uh, pretty substantially. The volume of staff between 2020 and 24 is 625 additional FTE. Um, I have a chart now that kind of talks about the other growth in expenses. So that is the last slide in my deck here. Uh, I'm gonna make two points here. One is the increase in 23 um, for our labor costs from 797.7 to 909.6. That's 111.9 million. So that's actually only 89 additional staff of our own, right? Because those FTEs include registry, they include positions, everybody. Um, so that's 10.5 million. We did get 6 million from. Um, from the state to bonus our employees. Probably could have pulled that one out. Our benefits went up 25 million and our registry went up 25 million. So the labor is a huge issue for us. And then if you look at other operating expense going from 260.9 to 324.7, that's in ambulance costs, security, and food and shelter. Uh, and pharmacy went up 21%. So those are the areas that um, that we really saw uh, large increases. And um, as another, just circling back and ending where uh, Trustee Fox uh, talked about, if you look at withdrawals as a percent of deposits, you can see you know we're way over in. 24 and 25. So that's gonna is what's driving up that line of credit. So um, that's the finance report.
reports. Okay. See, um, we're, we're going to have a, a busy budget season dealing with all these issues. Yes. I think we need to worry about amending the line of credit with the county. I think we do need to work on that. You know, um, speaking of the county, that the agreement we have with the county that I think was dated 2016, is that right? Called for uh, an opener that we, we had available to us five years later, 2021, which we did not use. But I think when we go back to the county, it would be helpful. It might be helpful to remind them of that, that, that the, the agreement did anticipate an opener. Uh, we've taken a rain check on it for two or three years, but now's the time we want to use that card. Yeah. And I think because of the timing of supplementals, I mean, that is the reason why we're peaking, you know, over that, over the line. And as long as we can get our budget, you know, under control, I think we, you know, we can manage to then and be maximum at the year end. All right. Thank you. Any questions for our CFO? Trustee Splendorio has his hand up. Trustee Splendorio, please. Yeah. Hey, um, I got a question. Kim, so I, 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 I thought you were going where I wanted to go, but, uh, but I do have, so the, the agreement with the county for the NNB is from 2016, right? Is that, because I just don't remember. Is that right? I think, isn't that right, Ahmad? That's the permanent agreement. That's right. All right. And w what was our revenue in 2016? I don't have that right off the top of my head. Does anybody know. know? Anybody around the table was here then. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could probably look it up. So, uh, are you are you heading toward commenting on the proportion of the NNB to the amount of revenue that we have now compared to when it was correct? <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna have to renegotiate, I, you know, I mean, it's it, it seems that it's worthy of discussion that if we were $160 million line of credit at a certain revenue model and our revenue model has increased, if it has, presumably our uh, uh, need to um, fund operations in light of the uh, seasonability of our receipts would would also have it have increased good point so yeah i think uh i our line of credit is structured so that it goes the amount that we can borrow goes down every single year that's uh probably uh from history when the line of credit was looked at more of a, a way to cover deficits versus just a cash flow issue, or I think now we've been using it as a cash flow mechanism. So we've, we've had it paid off for two years in a row, we use it, and then we you know, pay it off. So it's been really a true line of credit versus payment repayment debt, which I think was the original. Yet we do not have a cash reserve. So Correct. if the if the intention was to use a line, to use it to get over a bump in the road, then then you know, whether that's our fault or anybody else's fault, we do not have a cash reserve, which means we have to have a line of credit. But isn't it true that there's a 
like a 20-year timeline on that agreement. And the idea was that the NNV goes to zero in 2035 or something like that. And I think Splen's making a good point. Um, we might, we probably should emphasize to the county that even, even if we, the NNB were zero at a period of time, which it already has been, we still need a liquidity, some kind of liquidity facility as any large organization would, uh, even if over the long run we're break even or profitable, we're not allowed to have our own banking relationships or our own, you know, line of credit anywhere else or to build up a cash reserve. The county is our only only option. So uh, when we when we open up this the subject with them, we may have a few things to talk about with them. And to answer your question, 2016 it was 925 million, and now we're about 1.3 billion. So we're about 40 percent higher now. Yeah. Thank you, Splend. Any Thank other you. questions or comments? All right. Thank you, Kim. Uh, we're moving on to item B3, uh, the Chief Financial, the Chief Operating Officer's report, and this is going to be an update on nursing. And I'm going to just introduce this by saying that uh, nursing services are a very critical issue for AHS. That. They have a major and direct impact on our quality outcomes, our patient satisfaction, and our physician satisfaction. So nursing performance is a, is a big strategic issue for every health system and every hospital, as it is for AHS. Thank so you, please Fox. listen to this report with that in mind. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. And, um, Roll often our CNO has been what two years, two months, yeah. something like that. Roll, and I got to tell you, the progress that we've made in nursing is unbelievable. And I think by way of Roll's report, you're going to hear some of the great things that are going on in nursing. I also, we also have, you know, three of our nursing leaders or more back here sitting with Dr. Wills. So welcome to them tonight as well as. As they listen to Roy's report. So, Ro, would you like to introduce them? Roy, would you like to introduce? Yes. So, we have Dr. Dana Littlepage. Um, she's our VP for Administrative Services for the system. We have Chris Adams. He's our VP for the Community Hospitals. Uh, and Dusty Gilliland. She's our VP for here at Highland for um, Patients and Services. Welcome. Yes. Hi. Um, well, thank you for having me. I'll go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, I, I wanted to start this off with just what I consider a connection to purpose. Um, we know that AHS mission really drives people um, here. It's an attractor for, um, for staff, for patients. Um, but we also have a vision that we are held accountable to. And the AHS vision is for us to be a world-class safety net system. And so I thought it was important for us to um, connect how nursing will deliver on this vision. And so it's, I feel, our duty to provide high-quality health care to everyone with every encounter while serving with compassion, respect, excellence that creates an environment that is collaborative and healing while supporting the individual patient and their family values. So thinking about your introduction on nursing and the importance, um, we have a vision that should um, 
a vision and a plan that should allow us to deliver on that. So. so the next slide that's coming up, um, as Kim is bringing it, is the org structure. And I wanted to point this out because it's changed over the two years. Um, and what you're looking at with the red circles are just the, the last four of our um, nursing leaders. One of them is actually um, imaging, but it reports to one of the nursing leaders that we have open. So our, uh, our VPs, myself, um, have built a, a, a nursing leadership team that is um, gonna sustain for the next couple of years. I mean, this is a staple team. Um, those stars are individuals that we brought on within the past year. And when I came here about two years ago, um, it didn't look like this. So our portfolio has grown. Um, as you know, we picked up a few departments um, with the change of the structure with me having a dual role as the chief administrative officer as well. But it went together seamlessly. Um, Dusty picked up a few, Dana picked up a bunch. Chris picked up an entire hospital. So we went down a VP and um, combined our community hospitals, which is working out um, beautifully. And um, as you can see, we brought on some um, a, a significant number of leaders within the past year. If we go to the next slide. I just wanted to highlight a few of those leaders. Um, Lucy Walker, she's the director of cardiovascular services, and this position had been open since 2018. Um, we had not been able to fill with a permanent candidate. Lucy came to us as a traveler, fell in love with AHS, of course, the, um, the mission brought her here, um, and the team is what got her to stay, uh, the leadership team and the work that she sees that we're doing, and Lucy is phenomenal. She has a, an extensive background in cardiovascular services. Um, she's an educator. Uh, we cannot ask for a better candidate. We also have Adam Holder, who most recently came to us from Kaiser in our emergency department, um, fitting right in with the physician leadership there, um, working with Chris. In fact, Chris was able to rebuild his entire uh, nursing leadership team. We were able to bring on Erica Smith-Jacobs and Jessa Nelson. Um, and Jessa Nelson is actually a rehire. She worked for AHS before. Um, and she came back. She not only has ICU skills, but she's an educator as well. So uh, very strong leadership. Um, and then we have Anjantura. She is our stroke program system manager, and she's the one that's leading the way for Highland to be stroke center certified, uh, designated for later this year. Um, we also have, uh, I'm sorry, Berlinia Lenore. She's our director for um, our SATC transfer, uh, SATC staffing, our transport departments, um, and she has been instrumental in us with our throughput, um, working with us with our improving our throughput. Um, she's working well with the team as well. Most recently, she came from Kaiser um, also. Uh, most recently, we hired, well, actually, most recently, we hired Kim Scott. Um, Kim Scott is our director of ambulatory. So just as of last week, um, Steve Kilgore retired. And the, the beauty in having Kim is that we were able to bring her um, a few months before uh, Steve retired so that there was a seamless transition in ambulatory, so that there was you know, a warm handoff, no one would miss a beat, and we could just continue on with the efforts um, that's been going on there. So very happy about that. 
Um, and then Zareen Hussain, she came in and she's working with Dusty as the clinical director for patient care services. Wealth of experience. Um, she was a long-term Kaiser employee, wanted to do something different. And um, AHS is real attractive right now. So we were very fortunate to be able to get her as well. So when I came to you all last year, these were our priorities. We were going to reduce travelers, um, obtain stroke center designation here for Highland, um, put in a multi-treatment uh, dialysis room here at Highland. Um, we were just starting Telecenter, and the plan was to have it go system-wide. Uh, we were going to get NDNQI and um, be able to nationally benchmark ourselves uh, for quality. We were going to improve our transfer center um, as well as our patient care initiatives. Uh, we were also um, going to focus on recognition for staff um, as well as recruitment, retention, and reducing our overtime. And I'm really happy to say that we have done all of that. Um, some things are still ongoing as you'll hear in my presentation, but um, we told you that we were going to do it and we were able to deliver. So for 24, our priorities, we've bucketed them just a little, um, we've condensed it and put things in buckets. And one key thing is communication. And so it's real important for us to improve the communication from our leaders to our frontline staff. Um, and so we've been working on creating processes for cascading that information and making sure that there's a bi-directional um, conversation or feedback not just from the top down, but that we're actually hearing our staff and being able to respond. Um, we have a strong focus this year on quality, as it was last year as well. Um, and we've already started with this, with collaborating with quality management for performance improvement, prevention of our HAIs, and execution on best practices. And we're um, ensuring that our work is being driven by data um, and looking at our patient outcomes. As far as staff engagement and recognition, um, we have implemented some staff-led unit-based councils, and this is still uh, underway as well. But this is to improve our patient experience, safety, quality, as well as facilitate communication. Um, we feel that it's important for staff to be able to have a say in the work that they're doing, to be able to provide that feedback, um, to learn, and for us to be able to learn from them as well. And then with our staffing and retention, um, it's really, we know that the market is tight for nursing. Um, so if we can't get them here, we're just going to build it. And that's with our new grad programs um, as a way to decrease our vacancy rate. So as Kim mentioned in her um, report, uh, this is our registry use. And so you can see um, this is running from January through December of last year. Um, and as you can see, uh, we were as high as 290 um, different um, travelers earlier in the year, um, ending the year at about 261. But I do want to highlight that the end of the year, uh, where we had that 13.9% increase, it was due to winter planning, our, our um, leaves of absences, as well as FTE replacement. But what's really key with this is, one, you should see that there's a seasonality pattern that's going on there. Um, two, for the traveler um, increase due to winter planning, this helped us tremendously because now we don't have emergency departments without enough staff there. We're not having 
um, staff on the um, inpatient units where we're running so lean uh, that they're you know getting excessively fatigued because this time we planned we planned ahead for that so this increase in travelers you'll you'll see that they'll start to peel off um, starting about the end of this month or so um, as we transition out of winter and um, the other thing I wanted to note with this is that we do uh, and we have recognized that we have an issue with uh, leaves of absences I believe we're, we're around 156 of our employees that are out on leaves and so that as well is um, replaced with travelers next um, so last year we talked about recruitment and in June of last year we um, had a partnership we went into a partnership with Incredible Health um, and so Incredible Health is a sourcing agency that um, has this app that's sort of like if you think of a dating app or some kind of match app so as a nurse I can go in and say what my preferences are and this app will help connect you with um, hospitals that um, meet your requirements. And so we went into a partnership with them in June. And since June, we've um, hired 27 permanent nurses through Incredible Health with an average of about six years experience, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, and this is just the start of it. Um, the majority of the nurses hired through Incredible Health uh, went into our emergency department as well as um, John George out in our psych department. Um, our hiring speed has improved as well as um, the rate. So we started out at about three hires per month until the recruiters really got familiar with this. And now it's moved up to about seven hires per month. And with these um, hires, of course, we're saving on registry use, overtime, et cetera. And this is just um, kind of kudos to our recruitment staff. So I mentioned our new grad program, and I really want to highlight the work of this team that's here um, because we had 115 interviews to conduct over a three-day period to fill our new grad positions, and we got all 42 of those new grad positions filled. Um, very, very excited about that. Um, and we still have 120 or so open RN positions to fill, and that's SANS as well as benefited positions. But, um, this is big to have 42 new bodies coming into AHS, um, sort of in a bulk. So that traveler number will go down um, by 42 once they're trained up and ready to go. Um, the other thing that we're planning is um, training for John George and ambulatory that is underway. And um, a real exciting piece is our transition to practice that will come this summer. And so that will allow our staff that are in maybe med surge positions to um, increase their skill set and move into more um, acute areas like the emergency department or labor and delivery, period, or ICU. <laughs> um, another thing is our um, throughput work that we've been doing. So um, we've been tasked to improve our throughput, as you know, how that, that's very important. And, um, myself and Dr. Wu chair the throughput um, committee. There's um, this is a committee that is nursing and um, physicians. Uh, we actually have more physicians than we have uh, nursing, but the partnership is pretty phenomenal. So we have uh, ten initiatives that we're working on. Um, one is in our parking lot. We got three that we're kind of watching. Um, but as you see here, um, these are the initiatives that are going to improve our length of stay, improve our throughput, decompress our emergency departments, and um, maximize our, our beds throughout the system. 
So we have the ED front end redesign, um, and uh, Dr. Wu and I presented all of this at the um, quality um, meeting a couple of weeks ago, but just wanted to highlight it. Um, with our ED front end redesign, uh, we know that we can't, we're not adding space to the ED right now, but we're improving the flow. Um, we want to give it a facelift. And all of this work is being done uh, operationally as far as the input uh, by our front frontline people. So Dr. Justin Moore and, and Dusty are leading it, but it's a host of other people that are providing input for that, um, as well as our facilities department that we have employed a contractor, but we're going to make it look different and it's going to flow different, um, which will be better for our patients. And they've conducted some pilots. Um, already, and just with having our physician in triage, our left without being um, seen rate has gone down dramatically. So we know that that position is key. Um, so really looking forward to getting our equipment and furniture in there. Our surge rate response, um, Berlinia is um, kind of spearheading that, but you see it's Dusty and Dana and Dr. Wu um, that are some of the leaders on that. And so we've um, created a process for when we um, actually activate with Surge Red. And um, what that means is that looking at um, all patients that can move. So can we discharge them? What's holding up the discharge? What are the barriers? What kind of transportation do we need so that we can decompress and be able to move our patients through? Um, huge project that's being worked on is our case management redesign. This is a monstrosity. It's a big, big project. Um, and Dr. Uh, Dana Littlepage and um, Dr. Wu uh, are working on this. Uh, this We've had to take case management, um, utilization management, and just really blow it up. And um, it's what we're discovering um, is pretty incredible. <laughs> but what the end product will look like will be better for our patients. It'll be better for our system. Um, readmission reduction. Yes. Can you give 10 seconds on what you're finding is pretty incredible? Uh, can you give us? Yeah, we, ha we had a lot of opportunities. And this, I mean, this just goes beyond just case management, utilization management. We have rev cycle that's a part of it as well. We have um, just the way that we are admitting patients, our ops program. Um, how we're billing for um, um, our, our patients uh, for their stay, things of that. I mean, all of it is being reviewed, analyzed, and putting standard work in place um, so that we can uh, work more efficiently as well as uh, capture revenue. Um, readmission reduction, um, that's another focus. Clinical staffing, um, Dr. Wu and myself, um, looking at really what our resources are uh, across the system. Our ED to inpatient Kaizen work is really about communication from the ED to the nurses on the inpatient unit. And how do we do that efficiently? How do we do that quickly? And how do we mobilize the patient to get them in an inpatient bed? Um, as I mentioned, our observation services that's going on with Dr. Berneo and Dusty. Um, another big project, um, not an easy project, but uh, there's a lot of effort going into uh, really standing this up. Um, our UM Cure and Physician Advising, those three all go together. This case management, observation, and physician advising um, all work kind of synergistically together. And then our um, system bed capacity, uh, you all have heard about this. This was our pilot that was completed as far as um, dock of the day. And um, 
looking at how we can optimize our transfers throughout the system um, and having a physician partner to help with that. Um, and that um, pilot has been completed and we are moving forward with it. It was approved through Board of, um, sorry, Budget Oversight Committee to be able to fund uh, those, physici those physicians. So in a nutshell, <laughs> this is what we're doing on throughput. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty robust, but a lot of great work going on. Um, and then we have parking lot initiatives there uh, that you can see. Um, so the quality collaboration, um, as I mentioned before from last year, the NDNQI, so we were um, activated for participation last year in August. Uh, we had to uh, source and recruit an analyst and they just started in January. So we're getting our data in, and this is going to be key for us to benchmark nationwide. Um, this will help us with looking at our uh, site facility as well and being able to benchmark. Um, so really looking forward to that data coming out. Um, our quality and performance improvement managers. I, if, if all I can ask for was these, well, no, I would have still asked for more. But <laughs> they have been instrumental in really um, ensuring that we have evidence-based practices at the bedside and for prevention of HAIs. And um, this is a partnership with nursing to drive performance. Um, and the quality and performance improvement managers, their role is to assist with the scheduling, facilitating of meetings, monitoring of the deliverables, analyzing the data and the dashboards. Of course, once we get our NDNQI data, that would flow into that as well. How are we measuring that to like hospitals across the nation? And they also lead uh, performance improvement exercises for root cause determination, mm -hmm. but it's all being driven by the nurses on the, at the, uh, in the departments uh, and at the bedside. And we have teams of frontline nurses and nurse leaders that is leading this work. And how many improvement managers do you have? Four? We have three. three? Yeah, we have three. And it sounds like you have nurses involved in a lot. What's what do you, how would you assess the level of stress within nursing and, because we know a few years ago during the pandemic it was really high, and mm -hmm. you've got 150 LOAs, so is that a reflection of stress or is it family issues or? Um, I think it's just a, a number of things. Um, and when you think about um, LOAs, um, some people, if you dig into our LOA data, we have some people that have been on for almost two years. So we're trying to clean that up as well. Um, and you have we, we had a lot of people that didn't even live in the state that live somewhere else and are out on LOA. But when you're thinking about all of the work that we're doing, and we do have nurses doing this, and you're talking about burnout, I think where they're understanding and seeing the uh, patient outcomes change, and it's not additional work. And it's my opinion that think to that I think that the burnout comes from the inefficiencies. So what we're creating are efficiencies where people can work smarter and, and prevent that extra work. Um, so uh, our true north metrics, um, yes, this is another quality collaboration, but um, we have created a, a culture of accountability. And so um, for, for each metric, we have this triad of a physician, nurse, and quality so that um, each key discipline is owning a part in this. Um, and this is what's making it be successful because everyone has a, a stake in it. Um, and then we have our monthly MORs. Um, 
Mark and I go back and forth that this the, that's like one of the best meetings that we have every month. We look forward to it. We might be the only people looking forward to it, but you know, we, we do like it. But it's a monthly drill down as to where we are at each hospital. So where are you with your workplace injuries? Where are you with your quality metrics? Where are you with your finance and your utilization of travelers? Where are we with our um, facility projects, things of that nature? Um, and then quality has led uh, a number of retreats. Um, so far we've had three of them and that's where they're going offsite or collectively somewhere um, and working on the opportunities that we have for performance improvement. Um, and that's really where I think the rubber is meeting the road, where there's the think tanks and people are saying, well, we can do this or, you know, we should try this um, and really putting together that standard work, making some commitments and sticking to it. Your MORs, um, mm -hmm. uh, your site-based MORs, those are dashboard-based. You have yes. the same reporting format for yep. each hospital and looking at the same yep. KPI metrics. Yep, the exact same. Um, we have our True North metrics and finances, so it's all pretty standard. Um, wanted to bring back our Nurse Quality Review Committee um, because this was started, I guess it was last year or maybe the year before, but um, it came out of comments, I want to say at the board meeting, can't really remember, but we got it going. And um, so far, just in 2023, um, this committee reviewed over 80 cases. And these are cases that um, have been maybe uh, near misses or safety events um, and where we need to, where nursing is involved and we need to really drill down to um, establish the root cause. and. This team has been instrumental in providing input for policy change, workflow um, changes. Maybe some things are a system issue. That's where we're able to address it. If it's an individual issue, maybe we need some education. And so that's being chaired by um, Dusty Gilliland and John Stark, who's our um, quality performance manager. And that actually reports up for governance to the QSC. Um, stroke program, just wanted to give an update um, as to where we are with um, on our journey for our primary stroke certification. So we are right on track there. I think we were about a month behind, but um, we are moving towards target. So doing a lot of education, um, nursing and physician um, education, we're almost to our window for the survey. Um, we needed a minimum of four months worth of data. And um, some of the next steps is just ongoing education. Um, we need to tighten up on some policy creations and um, our transfers. And that's what um, Teresa, Dr. Gaines, and Ann are working on. So that's exciting. Um, from our administrative ECS department, we talked a little bit about the SATC Center and um, Berlinia working with uh, Dr. Wu on refining the Transfer City uh, Committee and the partnership and really centralizing our um, scheduling uh, throughout the system. Um, another thing that came out of this department was our Epic Assignment Wizard. Now this was really important as we're talking about burnout and frontline nurses. Um, we went live in September with this and this is, um, it's in Epic. Um, and so it was a collaboration with um, IS and it's electronic nursing assignments that have a workload score. So if you have a patient that is acutely ill, have lots of tasks that the nurse needs to 
uh, complete, then that score will be higher. And so this allows uh, whomever is doing the nurse assignments for the day to be able to balance that out so that someone is not, you know, running around crazy trying to provide the care um, and have a real heavy load while maybe it's imbalanced with someone else. So um, great collaboration with IS on that. Um, this is a staff satisfier. Um, our teams in Alameda started on this years ago and weren't really able to get it off the, the ground, but um, we were able to go live in September. Um, we also are working on our ambulance hub and patient transport um, to enhance our transportation ordering process. So we were losing about 50,000 a month and just with logistical issues for ambulance transportation, not really having um, insurance um, authorization um, or uh, ensuring that patients were having the right level of transportation. Um, and so we've been able to smooth out that process. This was a collaboration with Royal Ambulance as well. And um, we now have a platform for ordering medical and non-medical transportation services system-wide. And this is just a slither of the work that's going on with Royal and improving our transportation um, because we do have a, an opportunity to uh, refine that. We're spending a ton of money on transport, not just ambulance, but our Uber services. And so um, that work is underway now as well. Well, if I could just add one thing, the workload uh, with Zerg, uh, which uh, uh, the nursing team is great uh, partners with, is actually tied in with UKG, which we mentioned, which is our uh, scheduling system. So it goes back and forth on productivity and the time, time tracking as well, which we uh, presented uh, previously in this uh, group. Does the wizard also support um, provider or, uh, panels for the providers and say exact in ambulatory care as an example? It, it's a great question. This uh, particular uh, component does not. That is something we're looking at as a future um, uh, workload is with our physician providers. And have you, have you um, deployed that agent uh, system-wide or is that just a Certain hospitals at this time. No, it's system wide. We try to do everything system wide. Yeah, you file it and then kind of scale it from there. Yeah. My, 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 it's really interesting. I'll talk to you later about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we've got a future date anyway. Yeah, yeah we do. Um, so, Telecitter, it, it, I'm happy to say that it is in all of our acute hospitals. Um, so, this is a big deal and it's uh, highly utilized. And um, we brought this. Uh, to the board last year, um, and this was going to help us with our sitter reduction costs. Um, we've done a lot of work with uh, sitters and managing them, putting in standard work, and then folding in telesitter as an enhancement. So, um, really happy about that. It is finally everywhere. It works well. It does. It works well. Um, Care coordination in the UM department. Um, I mentioned this a little um, before, but with care coordination, uh, we're really working to ensure a smooth and effective discharge process for our patients um, and the coordination of transition from home, from hospital to home, making sure that they have all of the resources externally that they need. Um, and that also includes access, maybe ordering of equipment, transportation, et cetera. Um, and this is also being monitored by looking at our length of stay um, and our readmissions as well, because if you have a great discharge, then uh, your patients will stay home instead of bouncing back. So um, our UM department, as I mentioned before, we're, the restructure is underway. Um, but this department, just to give you a highlight of some of the things that they do, um, they're create, it's 
they're creating alignment with our regulatory requirements. So keeping us out of trouble in that. Um, clinical reviews of our inpatient admissions, ensuring the appropriateness of those and decreasing our denial rates, as well as ensuring the appropriate resource utilization and cost containment. Um, staff engagement. So I mentioned the unit-based councils. We continue to have our recognition as well. We have our DAISY Awards. We have a number of unit-based uh, recognition um, that's going on. And we also get monthly from our patient grounding lists of um, different staff that were recognized by the patients by the um, daily grounding. And so we give them feedback for that as well. Um, we've hardwired our direct report rounding um, and as well as um, our frontline involvement with PI. Now, the one thing that is starting in a pilot phase, which will actually be in our ambulatory department as we're testing this out with HR is talent calibration. Um, we really want to be able to assess internal um, talent and see how we can grow and develop internally um, to provide ways for people to promote uh, from within. Is it getting easier to hire nurses than it used to be? I think so. I, it feels that way. I just don't want to claim it yet. I still got 120 positions to, yeah. to fill. But um, back to the talent calibration really quick. Um, this is um, Terrence Shaw and Arlene Gomez from HR. Um, and this has really got to be key because this is also us responding to what we're hearing from our, our, um, our staff. Desktop chat talks, you know, we get questions all the time on how do you get promoted? How do I get, um, how do I get trained? How do I get into a manager position? And so this will um, allow us to assess and tease out um, where the talent is and be able to pour into individuals. Um, communication, uh, as this was one of our priorities for this year, and this just really discusses some of the um, modalities for communication. So at a department level, we have our huddle messages, we have our unit councils and staff meetings. So when we're talking about uh, disseminating information to the frontline staff, and then with our leaders, we have our leadership team meetings. Um, the, lead, the VP leaders also uh, create these A3s, which helps me a lot because then I'm able to look at the data, see the progress, see where the barriers are on different projects that they're working on. Um, at a system level, we have our um, nurse leader offsites. Um, we have our daily meetings uh, at noon. We also, um, one thing that we're working on now from a system level is um, bringing up our nurse internet page. So it's old and um, doesn't represent anything that we're doing currently, uh, but that will change this year as well. I was going to ask about that. How do you actually communicate with nurses on the floor and other parts of the campus? Mm -hmm. Are you using cell phones? Or are you using, hopefully not using only pagers anymore? But oh, no. What do you have? What do you do? Oh, for for communication, yes, we do have cell phones. And in fact, we have Rover, <laughs> which was a huge, a huge thing. We want Rover to be over. Um, so, we, <laughs> so we do have yes, phones do. for all of the nurses. Um, you can utilize Epic for Epic Chats um, as well. And um, then what we do as a nurse leadership team is that we're really tight with our communication and then it's disseminated system-wide. So, I mean, if you have to talk to a nurse, let's say, it's three floors away. Oh, yeah, you call them on their cell phone. You call their cell phone number and everybody, okay. Yeah. You got everybody in your contacts. Yes, and IS did that for us. It's the directory. 
So, um, as far as can, can, can I just add a plug? Yeah, this is, was a huge partnership from uh, between Roe and her nursing team. She's been very gracious to us, but the nursing team put a ton of work into this. But they actually register every patient, every nurse to every patient, and they have their phone number. So you're not necessarily calling the nurse because the nurse may be off shift or maybe off schedule, etc. You're calling the nurse for that patient, yeah. and that'll ring. So I want the nurse for you, and so I call and it rings through wow. to the nurse for that. So it's a, actually cool. a very smart system. Or you can text the nurse yeah. for that patient uh, in there. So it's actually pretty smart. That's updated yes. real time. So yes, yes, um, wow. yes. It's a smartphone. So. Just and like, and F, the Epic system controls it, so you assign the care team to the patient, and so I can reach the doctor, I can reach that, the nurse, that's really cool. the rest of them in that. So that's really the beauty of the integrated Epic system with that, and uh, the leveraging it. But you know, it takes a lot of work from our nursing team uh, to do that. We just went live with uh, Rover here at Highland two weeks ago, and so we're in the tail end of that last week of that, but we've been doing huddles with the team here. Chris uh, Adams uh, sitting over there with uh, the first pilot with Alameda Hospital, where we had a few bumps, and then we did San Leandro, and now we've uh, done Highland, and then we've gotten safely smoother with each hospital as we've been going. Yeah. So Rover's the name of the system that you're using? Rover is the Epic, Epic. portion of it. Uh, we run it on actually Apple iPhones, and we're using to get technical WebEx um, as the uh, dialer within mm -hmm. San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Um, and just to highlight on interdepartmental communication, I mentioned already the MORS. Um, Mark just talked a little bit about EPIC and the documentation there. And we also create shared huddle messages that we share system-wide. I feel I should know A3s. I don't know A3s. A3s is? It, so A3s is a tool. It's a communication tool, really highlights um, projects, talks about the, um, the barriers, your targets, um, balancing measures. Uh, it's a lead. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, retention and pipeline. Uh, so we have our academic partnerships and community connections. So uh, we talked before um, I came about our uh, partnership with USF and our uh, pipeline creation. So we did start that. We have, I believe, 16 students um, currently, and we have a new cohort that's starting March, I want to say. Um, which would increase our number as well. Um, we do have our academic liaison. So this is someone that partners with the schools and with um, um, other community um, establishments to talk about AHS and to connect us as far as nursing and um, maybe nursing students. And then um, we're doing things like open houses. We're back to that. So we're having one in March um, and that's with recruitment and with nursing. Um, we did a refresh of our new nurse um, orientation, um, and this is still ongoing, really wanting to leverage technology. Uh, we want to standardize um, how we do this and standardize our onboarding improvements. So these, this is work that's ongoing. Our education department, um, we're in the process of a conversion to um, Elsevier, um, maximizing our rover at the bedside for education and reference materials. This is a future item that, Mark, Amy, you don't know anything about yet, but you will. <laughs> and really creating some standardization. Um, and then our new grad and student connection. So this is something new that we're uh, doing this April. Uh, we want to take our new grads that just finished their orientation as well as our students, we want to get them in a room and be able to learn from them, get feedback from them. How was your orientation? Um, what could we have done better? And then we're also going to use that time to give them uh, 
um, additional education on things that they may have learned quickly that may be low volume, high risk, um, or something that we really need for them to kind of focus and, and key in on, we'll use that time for that. And that's being made possible uh, with the help of the foundation. So we'll, we'll see what we get back from, from that brainstorming session. Um, really, I don't wanna be quick, but I wanna highlight patient experience. Um, we do have a strategy that's across the system. Um, and if you kind of focus on the green area there in the, in the middle uh, where we're driving our action around patient experience. So Dr. Angela Ng leads this work um, and she, um, I mean, I can't say enough great things about her. She's, she's really good at what she does um, and she's really good with um, collaborating with um, different departments, different disciplines to bring patient experience uh, to the focus. And so um, this year, again, we'll be focusing on uh, the orientation for new leaders uh, and providing that patient experience foundation to our, um, to our staff and um, giving them the feedback. Uh, we um, continue to focus on gift and ensuring that we have clinical best practice interventions um, at the bedside. Um, again, DEI, the analysis and having those discussions and everything that we're rolling out is extremely important. Um, and this was just the highlight of our um, patient experience scores. Um, so you can see that in this, for fiscal year to date for 24, our results are there. Um, but likelihood to recommend the facility, and this is at a systems level, uh, we are above goal at 77.76. And um, as of this date of data, we know that this goes up and down. Um, but um, areas that have improved um, or at, or at above goal, our rate hospital has had improvement. Our physician communication has remained strong. Um, it came up and it has stayed up. They're doing a phenomenal job. Um, discharge information, and we still have work to do with that, as well as communication about medi uh, medicines, our cleanliness, quietness and responsiveness of hospital staff. Um, and a big, uh, a big focus is on our care transitions, as I mentioned before, with utilization management. I was gonna ask about that. What is, how is that, how, what comprises that score? Well, it's our patient surveys. And so this is how our patients are rating us For after discharge. Target of 48.68 out of, is it out of 50, is it? But uh, where are you looking uh, at? Care Transitions overall score, it says that the FY24 yeah. target is 48.68. So is that out of something, out of a, what is the total score? That, that's our, that's, it's called the top box score. So there's a lot that goes into um, the patient experience ratings and scores and the which questions um, are most impactful and there's weights to each question. Um, but that's top box, and we have uh, an opportunity to improve yeah, in that area. One, just one more comment on that. It's a, our patients grade us on a Likert scale, one to ten, mm -hmm. and, and top box means that any of those percentages they rate us at a nine or ten. Right. So if it's 67, 67 percent of the patients that month rated us a nine or ten. I see on that on that question. I see. Very Thank good. you, Mark. Thank you for that information. Mm -hmm. Um, next slide. Um, more about the implementation plan and what's highlighted are the collaborations um, because that's how we get things done. Um, nothing is done in a silo. So
so um, with our DEI work, it's a collab with Quality and our Population Health Department. Um, we're doing some pronoun realignment, and that's with the EPMO Department. Um, we have some grants that uh, patient experience is working on with our QUIP teams and Population Health as well. Um, our data recording improvements at the unit level um, and redesigning and using Power BI to get that data. Um, that's a collaboration with Quality. Uh, a, a highlight is that um, we will be moving forward with implementing our Patient Family Advisory Committee. Um, this is really big and it's part of our um, overall strat plan. Um, so we have um, recruited a manager that will oversee our Patient Family Advisory um, Committees and Dr. Ng will be working with them as well. So looking forward to having that where we can actually have the voice of our patients in a committee um, and being able to get feedback from them. Next slide. Um, this is really quick, just some other accomplishments that may or may not have been in the slides. Um, really just want to highlight uh, the creation of standard work across the acute and ambulatory settings. Um, this year we were able to provide uh, nurse education in ambulatory as well, which was missing. Um, we were also able to reestablish our nursing leadership roles there in ambulatory. Our baby friendly survey was successful. We've had an SSI reduction, um, a plan and a reduction. Um, Teresa and Dr. Lang uh, and our virtual COET clinic implementation that happened last year as well. Um, just lots of things that didn't, may not have made it to the slide, but are very important. Um, and it just shows the commitment of our frontline team and our leadership team to um, achieving our, our mission of being, our, our vision of being a world-class safety net hospital. And that is my presentation. Any questions? Any additional questions or comments? I guess I just I kind of wonder how you, your people find time to do the work with so much overhead. It's remarkable the complexity of all the things that you're involved in, and I, I applaud what you've done. The thing that I mean, I've only been what like ten months, I guess. And on the quality committee, there's there's this seems to be this frustration that we're not where we want to be, mm -hmm. but in a lot of places we're close. And one of the things I've been wondering about is, well, particularly when we think about patient satisfaction, which is such a difficult deal to move. What proportion of that do you think is is nursing? Because patients become in contact with a lot of people, yeah. not just nursing, right? How much do you think your group can contribute to lift in that? I think we have a, a big part in it, um, just by the nature of our role, the nature of our work, and the connection that we have with patients and the amount of time that we spend with them. Yes, you know, coming into the clinic and, and meeting and being greeted by our medical assistant does impact that uh, that patient's visit, but it also is very impactful by the person that's at the bedside, touching the patient, conversating with the patient, providing them their medication, their discharge instructions. So I think the nursing um, has a huge piece in that. Yeah. When you think about time spent with a patient, you know, there are multiple people, but nurses must spend 80% of the time the patients in the hospital with the patient, most likely. And how many FTEs uh, are nurses? A lot. Um, 
I don't have the exact number. It's over 900 bodies easily. Wow. So, so, so you're managing a big group of people. Yes, but not alone. I got a right, phenomenal right. team. These folks. Yes. <laughs> sure. Yes. Are right behind you. Yes. Yes. Other questions? Well, you've got a few things going in your <laughs> world, yes. and uh, I appreciate your very thorough report and the time it took to put it together, <coughs> and it was put together thoughtfully, and uh, please keep going. Yes, we will try. Right. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Thanks, right. I'd just like to say compliments to the team as well. Yeah. That was a wonderful presentation, and great work you're all doing. I want to thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So I hope you're all able to take the rest of the day off. <laughs> we'll, we'll think about Thank that. Thank you for not saying we. <laughs> we got Rover to finish. Yeah. Mark <laughs> held, held his breath there. Rover ain't over here. You're more valued than you realize. Oh, thank you. And I always say that because my wife's an RN. Yeah. <laughs> all right. The only thing separating us from uh, the end of the warrior game is a report on our grit progress. <laughs> okay. This one takes five minutes. <laughs> we'll do our best here. All right, so this is our second quarter report. We do this uh, update each quarter. Um, just to remind everybody, we built in 34.4 million of improvements in our budget. And this is the Q2 report. And we realized uh, 3.5 million, so we're shy uh, 9.3 at this point. Um, I'll just go through these pretty quickly. You can always ask me questions. Um, the first area is recoveries on underpayments. Um, Good news there is we were able to get to mediation with Blue Cross and bring in a million bucks right off the bat. We hadn't thought we would get to mediation until Q3, so that puts us green. Um, the more mediations uh, need to be scheduled. Several have gotten canceled, so um, hopefully we can get these settled by the end of the year. But I'm getting a little nervous because it's February. Um, but you know, the, the the system is the system. Uh, charge capture. Charge capture, we are green. So we are wanting every single department to reconcile their charges every day. If I had this many patients come in, I got to have this many charges. Um, and we're seeing our average charge go up. So that's our measurement. So we're green. Patient status is yellow. This one is kind of early to measure. Uh, we really went live in November and uh, our chief uh, nurse's report, she talked about all of the things that we're doing in this area. Um, I think that come, you know, we get a few months under our belt, I'm going to be able to actually reflect this as green. The next area is ambulatory and uh, our new uh, physician recruits are being measured to a 40th percentile. So their first quarter, they're supposed to be at 25% of 40, or the 40th percentile, and 50% of it, 75% of it, 100% of 40% after a year. 
We have a lot of new folks um, that just started, so they're still at the uh, low end of the ramp up, but at this point, they're almost making that target. Um, the second item here is improving access. Uh, we built in 6,153 additional primary care visits, and we have not seen those additional cases. That's why this is red. But it is worthy to note that in regard to our specialists, um, we're about 1% 1 or 1,154 visits above. It's just this metric isn't measuring specialists. It was intended for primary care. Uh, next is the OR utilization. The OR utilization is red. Uh, what we're measuring here is total surgical cases. Uh, at this point, we're not measuring elective versus non-elective, like through the ED, we're just all cases. And we are missing our mark by 111. There is some good news, though. We have increased 135 cases on the elective side, mostly pain at Alameda Hospital but uh, we are seeing some elective growth. Next item is the supply initiative. And um, here we're actually beating target by quite a bit. Uh, we're at 1,153,000. The next item is implants. We, this one was not going to start until Q3. So we had to come up with a manual process to get reimbursed for implants, <clears throat> gotta have that invoice for many payers. And somehow we gotta link that invoice to the case so that we can attach the right one. Uh, and so there's two steps. One, the OR needs to make sure they put a charge <clears throat> so that we know there's, there should be an invoice. And then we gotta set up a system to be able to figure out what invoice goes to that patient. <clears throat> so uh, a lot of work happening on this. That's why it's green, but uh, our measurement doesn't start till Q3. Could I ask a question about this, please? Um, if this is a $6 million a year benefit, <clears throat> could we just hire a whole group of temps to push this through faster once we know what the process is? We talked about that, bringing somebody into AP. Because right now, AP is... Maybe not somebody, but for $6 million a year, you, you could bring in half a dozen people and try to I don't know if we're gonna need really that get caught up. <laughs> but we're right in the middle of automating our invoicing system. I mean, and once we automate it, it'll be a lot easier to find stuff. But we've got a problem right now that the, the patient is in the comments field, and that's not a searchable field in the system. So that doesn't help us find anything. So we're working with IT, and we're trying to figure out a way to make this you know, happen. Ultimately, it, it might take you know, more than just this initiative to actually automate it in the background, like you know, most other systems have. Um, but your point is well taken. But how far back can we go once we have this automated system that Mark's going to put together? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, can we go? Uh, can we go back two years if we haven't built these implants? Well, Medi-Cal's one year. Uh, Medicare is typically one year. Commercial is, you know, four months. But what we're trying to do is, you know, when the OR knows it's an expensive something, you know, they're shouting and uh, Teresa Cooper's in touch with the revenue cycle so that if it's a real expensive item, we should start to pick them up. So I, uh, we're running a report. We're having our BI team write, uh, write a report so we can see what reimbursement we're getting on that implant code that we built. 
So that's in process right now. We requested it about a month ago. So, so if you have like a knee, let's say, that's probably, what does that cost? Probably five, six thousand dollars, right? So that's expensive. And implants in the eye. Baby. Okay. <laughs> well, all right, but it, it would seem like, I know that, you know, a dozen people working on this might not make it any faster than three people, but if we. Your point we is well taken. Some money I think we're this. we're so close on getting the yeah. invoicing system automated, so that there's some rhyme or reason to go and look into the system. And, uh, that that um, initiative is well underway and should be completed here soon. And then you're right. At that point, we'd have the ability to sick people on it. But right now, we don't have any organized files. Yeah. Okay. We don't have any kind of automated approval process for invoices. Nothing. It's all completely manual. Well, this could help us in next year's budget if we get there. Yes, it, it could. And Kim, just very briefly on the slide before, what is being done to drive elective OR surgeries? That, that confused me. I mean, you want to increase elective? Is that, was that, did I read that correctly? Yes, so if our physicians have elective cases, and we can optimize the block times. Oh, so, you know, if, some, if okay. somebody doesn't have enough cases that day, somebody else can add on or they can drop and consolidate another day. That makes sense. Okay. All right. So then the next one here is registry. And we talked about that quite a bit. Look at the reduction in the rate there. It's a 22.9% reduction in hourly rate from last year to this year. Um, however, our utilization is... Um, 5.4%, which is less than last year. We were 6.8, uh, but our target was 4.2. Um, so we're green there because of that rate. Um, our overtime, unfortunately, we're above where we were last year at 5%. So we're not hitting that one. Our workers' comp claims, we are seeing improvement. We're down 19 claims so far this year. So we're just measuring the number of claims since it takes a long time to value them and figure out what they're ultimately going to get paid at. But if we're having fewer of them, then we should be you know, paying less. Um, redu reducing the length of stay is the next one. We're red there. Um, this one is, uh, is, you can measure this many ways. Different systems do it different ways. We did it one way last year by reducing expenses which was about reducing staffing, and that really kind of threw us for a loop. So what we did this year is we said, look, if we can get our length of stay down, we've got enough patients sitting in the Highland ED to get more heads in beds by midnight and get more inpatient revenue. So this year's budget included uh, increasing discharges. We're missing it by 11, which isn't all that significant. The only thing that I have to say is that Alameda, we've got some duplicates because Alameda is on a separate license, and so we have to discharge and admit as a lower uh, lower uh, level of care. And we haven't gotten a report to figure out uh, how many of those are duplicates. So you know, you can see we might be off by more than 11. Uh, I'm sure there are all duplicates, absolutely. So that kind of gives you a, an idea on the length of stay. Um, we are down 0.08, so we are, we've seen some progress um, on reducing the length of stay. So if I wanted to measure it another way, just to, just to kind of show that we're making some headway on this, it's about 900, it's almost a million dollars uh, of cost reduction. So 
and that's at 1500 a day and you know people can argue that but usually it's the last day that the patient stays so there's not a whole lot of resources going out but you know that number varies that's the number we've just been using here at Alameda Health System so you're basically at the level of additional discharges you budgeted to have for uh, with the excess of capa extra capacity you're getting for lower labor stay. Well, the 253 for Alameda, many of those are duplicates. So you got to reduce that number. So we might be off, you know, they're not all. So maybe we're off 200, I don't know, 190. So we're not backfilling the way we had planned. Um, and you could, you think we would see the positive variance in Highland because that's where we yeah. would be moving that patient out and backfilling. So we really were expecting to see those discharges, that additional discharges. I thought that was kind of an aggressive target anyway, because you don't know that the patients are there. You have the capacity and you're hoping the patients will be there, but they're not. Well, we, we are we, always we, hearing our ED is full. Yeah, you're in the middle of the winter it. now, so you still now's when you'll make up ground. Well, you know, it, a lot of the throughput initiatives in terms of how we transition our patients around the system are really key, and so that's what we really need to continue to focus on. And you know, if if we have eventually a higher number of observation patients, that also brings down the length of stay, right, Alan? I mean, instead of three ops patients, you suddenly have 20, 24. That has a major impact on throughput. Yeah, yeah. And so our initiatives that we're working on can really have an impact when they start hitting, when they start doing it. And the next one is the Stroke Center. And uh, Ro reported out on that already. And she also reported out on the dialysis. Um, the uh, We've got yellow on the Stroke Center, uh, but it, we hadn't planned for it to be up and running until Q3. And we've got red on the dialysis because we have not uh, increased the utilization that we had. And that is the grit. Okay. Any questions on the grit? All right. We have no contracts this month, huh? That means we're going to have a lot Get next ready. Month. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're, we're taking a break from the contracts. All right, we are at the end of the agenda. So thank you very much. See you next month. Thank you. Okay. Good night, James. Good night. Thank you all. Bye bye. Good night, everybody.